On today's episode of Locked On Suns, an update on Kevin Durant, a hire in the front office, and details on the one area of the court where the Suns have stayed solid all season long. Let's go. You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a credentialed media member covering the Suns for the past six seasons, a writer at suns.com and the host of the Just Basketball Show, wherever you get your podcast. Thank you for making Locked On Suns your first listen late Monday night, early Tuesday morning. If you like what you're hearing, if you're finding us for the first time, go ahead and hit follow or subscribe on whatever podcast platform you are finding us on. We are everywhere, including YouTube. We are free everywhere. The best way to support the show, to get involved, to hang out, to just show your love is to go ahead and hit follow or subscribe. Get this show in your feed every single Monday through Friday. Stay locked on to your favorite team every day of the week. Some bonus episodes on the weekends when there's games or news. All that fun stuff. You can also follow along at LockedOnPHXSuns where you can at me, get the conversation going there. You can also do the same down below in the YouTube comments with your thoughts on any of the topics that I'm talking about today or just whatever is on your mind related to your Phoenix Suns. Let's dive into today's show. I told you there was an update on Kevin Durant and I was, uh, I was maybe exaggerating a little bit. Uh, I, I, you, you might be able to tell if you've been watching or listening for a bit that I'm uh I'm getting a little tired out by this season and I don't think I'm alone I don't want to I don't want to start the show on a dire note we're going to pick up the energy in a second because I will uh I'll be making some jokes I'll be having some fun and that's exactly where we're headed here but I'm tired of the season a little bit and today just added to it and so if you'll allow me I actually think this is this is helpful info this is nice perspective, and it does help inform how we're going to think about Kevin Durant when he ultimately does return. The update in question, the quote-unquote update that was that was provided today was from Shamshrania on FanDuel TV, and uh, I'm going to play the clip in a second. You won't be able to hear it on audio, so I'll, 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 you won't even notice there was a pause. I'll cut that out, but on video, you'll see it, and you'll hear it, and, and um, I, I'll give you the update my, my take on the update in a second, and it's not even a criticism of Shams. It's not even a criticism of anything having to do with the Suns. I'll tell you what I mean in a second, but I'm going to play it really quick for all of you guys first. Okay, so basically in there, you hear him say a few things, right? The team is expecting him back by the end of March but or early April, right? And then you have in there that uh, the timeline has always been two to three weeks, and so I'm going to, th- uh, the one criticism that I will throw at Shams a little bit here is he's married to his original report and the original report was two weeks. Remember Shams said two and then the Suns uh, official press release said three. And so part of our issue here with where we now get our information, the thirst for updates that also then makes teams a little bit paranoid and then not want to release updates. This is all circular and cyclical. What that all leaves us with is somebody having to sort of defend the veracity of their own reporting as they continue to report. Not a very new phenomenon, but 
still very silly because I guess in the past, the, the need to defend yourself with that stuff wasn't day to day or minute to minute. Now it is. And so that's some of the silliness here. Shams is sort of needing to mention the two weeks. I'm not here to say that it won't be two weeks, but I don't necessarily think it needed to be thrown in there, especially because he didn't really exactly double down there. He didn't say it's going to be two weeks. He will be back on Wednesday against the Lakers and, and the Suns are just, you know, uh, dragging their feet and, and trying to, to, to smoke screen everybody. And he's not doing that. He's sort of just throwing that in there, in my opinion, because he wants to maintain that that was a possibility in the first place, which does not seem that it really ever was. So, that in mind, the other part of this that's frustrating is the timeline, right? So, the Suns have told us Kevin Durant will be re-evaluated three, we- uh, yeah, three weeks from when he got the ankle hurt. So, that would line him up to be re-evaluated on the 29th, which is the day of the Timberwolves game. It is another home game, and it would be the soonest we would reasonably expect him to come back based upon what the Suns told us. Now, Shams could still be right, and it's two weeks, and maybe he's back Wednesday. Maybe he plays uh, over the weekend. I don't know. But what's ridiculous about the timeline part of this is that he doesn't give us one, right? And so this is where I'm going to go in on a whole different side of things. I understand you, me, all of us, we're all interested in information, updates on Kevin Durant. The problem, once again, is this is not one. This is not that. This is not info. This is not an update. This is nothing. And so the problem there is the the overemphasis on these insiders. I mean, I even, I'll give ESPN a little bit of credit here. Like, they use Woj a ton. There are times when he's out there on, like, the countdown shows or some of these halftime shows. He's He's on like pre, post, and halftime uh, in the NBA Finals. I'm not sure what he's there for, you know? But like there are, they, they are fairly withholding. They don't parade Woj out there every single day. Whereas FanDuel, by their need to get in front of all of this, they are a sponsor. I'm not even criticizing them. It, it, whatever. It's everybody, right? I just said ESPN, FanDuel is no exception. Uh, the Athletic, where Shams works, puts out a, a, an outlet pass or inside pass, whatever they call his, uh, his, his updates every few weeks. They have a newsletter built around him. There is not enough information for all of these shows to pump out new, relevant, actual stuff on a day-by-day basis. I can't even imagine what it's like to be Durant and have... I mean, what's hilarious too, being Duran is one part, his podcast co-host, who we know he has a personal relationship with, Eddie Gonzalez, is on this FanDuel show. And so it's just, in every, it puts everybody in an uncomfortable spot. And I'm not, again, even blaming Shams, not even really blaming Michelle Beadle or the producers of that show that they do. It's more just this culture we're in now where these insiders are expected to milk every bit of news for everything it's worth, and there's just not always something to say. There's just sometimes no update. That's okay. I do a show every day about this team and somehow haven't really focused on Durant's timeline much at all. It might be this Wednesday. I don't think it will. Could be. Could be this weekend. Could be the Wednesday when he's supposed to be really reevaluated against Minnesota. Could not be that, actually. Could be the next game, Friday against the Nuggets. Maybe they take him out for the whole regular season. We don't know the answer. 
Unless someone has it concretely, in which case, let us know. But what the Arizona Republic did with it, it, people are worried it could be the whole regular season, aren't we all? Or this new little bit of info from Shams today where it's like this half-speak, you know, in tongues of really amounting to nothing. It's just nonsense. That's my, that's my, that's my rant for the day. The Phoenix Suns made a hire in the front office. Gerald Madkins. I'll tell you why his hire continues to go against the original narrative that formed around Matt Ishbia when he decided to buy the Suns. We'll talk about that next for today's show, guys. Brought to you by FanDuel, our friends with Shamsharania and co, but really more so. The book is where you're going to be wanting to spend your time because this is the best time of year to be on FanDuel Sportsbook, America's number one sportsbook, and they're still doing the no sweat first bet for you even during March. No sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back. If your first bet doesn't win, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then bet on everything from the money line to point scorers to threes drained. Then... You can even combine your bets on top of that for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay. So, of course, the March games are going on. Men's and women's tournaments. We know the deal. On top of that, NBA stuff going on all year long. I told you about six man of the year. Feels a little up in the air. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon is the favorite, but Emmanuel quickly has been playing his butt off. We have most improved player, which I guess is Lowry Markkinen's to lose. I'm not sure. I don't understand why Bam Adebayo and Defensive Player of the Year is still such a, a long shot. I don't know if he'll win because those odds feel really big, but why not just on the off chance get a nice uh, a, a nice position on that one? Don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Gerald Madkins. New Assistant General Manager and Vice President of Personnel Evaluation for the Phoenix Suns. Now, let's go back in time a little bit first. This is effectively the position that uh, Jeff Bauer held during his time in Phoenix, the early part of James Jones's tenure. I believe if I have my facts and, and timing in line, Bauer left the team in the lead-up to last season, or maybe it, during last season, after the finals, okay? So I believe that's what it was. He, uh, it, may, it may have been during. He is now, a, a, I believe, a pro scout for the Brooklyn Nets, Jeff Bauer. But he's a longtime executive. He was with the Pistons as the general manager. He was with, actually, uh, the Hornets back in the day, which is funny. Yet another Hornets connection. So he knew Monty um, and Chris, I believe, from that. And then, uh, actually, Jeff Bauer had even had one season where he did the Pat Riley uh, the threatened Pat Riley and, and came down to coach the team um, during a year. I think he fired his coach and replaced him. So a long-time basketball lifer, right? But that guy's gone. Bauer's gone. So Madkins basically takes that spot. A, 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 the, the sort of, I don't know if the, the title's not exactly the same. I don't remember what Bauer's official title was. A lot of these things are fake. It doesn't matter. It doesn't tell you how much they're paid. It doesn't tell you how much say they have. It doesn't tell you who their connection was with, or even what they're doing, to be honest. If you know anything about sports, you know these titles are, are meaningless. This is effectively 
more what I mean by the same position as Bauer is sort of the same background as Bauer, might be a better way to put it. A guy who's spent his whole life in basketball, who is supremely experienced and will bring those connections and varied uh, roles at in other front offices to the Suns. And I think it will be good. And I'll tell you what that background is here. The press release from the team says, from 2017 to 2020, Madkin served as assistant general manager for the New York Knicks. Built up a pretty darn good team. You know, uh, that was the team that went on to make the playoffs that season right after he left. And then now, you know, most of those same guys outside of Brunson are, are making another pretty solid push for the postseason. He previously, before that, worked in the front office with the LA Clippers, where he served as director of basketball operations, which for people who don't know, is almost like an administrative role, almost like a chief of staff. It is a lot of what director of basketball operations will be for, for a lot of front offices. I don't know if that's what he was doing, but that's a different sort of perspective. Shifted to director of scouting with the Clippers and then later became an assistant GM there. He also, maybe most importantly when we're talking about the Suns, was a former player with the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Golden State Warriors, as well as the CBA in the U.S. and uh, overseas. He, prior to the Clippers and Knicks, has 20 years of experience as an NBA executive. Supersonics, Rockets, Hornets. So if that doesn't give you a, a pretty good impression of what this guy has been in his past lives in the league, uh, I don't know what will. That is, that is a very experienced guy. I think it's good to have somebody like that. I think that it is good to have a different set of backgrounds, right? James Jones is somebody who didn't have much of any background. You know, really it was a long professional playing career and then some time with the union was was really what he was pulling from. Monty Williams, different sort of thing. He's a head coach. He does have a ton of experience, but you have somebody like Morgan Cato in the front office who worked for the league office really more... Um, in a player development and league development type of role, you have Ryan Resch, who is a very high-ranking member of this front office now, has risen from a basketball operations assistant, basically, to you know vice president of, of something. I don't know. I think it's vice president of basketball operations. He was a, a, a grad assistant at Baylor during some of their big years as a college program and has just risen through the ranks. He, he predates James Jones, actually. Um, Trevor Buxing, we know, cap guy, he's he's been around forever. That's a different type of background. And so I think Bat Madkins brings something that will be valuable, something just hard, nose to the ground, working in the league for years and years and years, and then was a player before that. I like it. More important to me, more interesting to me, though, is the Ishbia side of this, the, the evolution of this brain trust side of this, okay? And what I mean by that is... If you remember when the Kevin Durant trade happened, and I made such a point, I, I, I think I did a whole segment on it, if not more than one, um, talking about how Ishbia characterized and described the work that went into making the Durant trade happen. If you remember, he pointed directly to Jones and Resch for making some, uh, really making it happen. He has given been given opportunities to sort of uh, explain his thoughts and perspective on where this team is and where it should be going. And obviously, I'm not 
naive enough to think that Matt Ishbia does not have those opinions or ideas, and that we will not continue to see those opinions and ideas shape the Suns. That will happen. But when he's been asked, he has said, I'm going to let James Jones and Monty Williams do their thing. They knew much more about this. They've been here much longer than me, and I intend to keep things rolling in that direction. And then when the Durant trade happens, he once again defers credit. There's a little bit of a weird thing going on, though, because even with Terrence Ross, if you remember, uh, Woj tweeted that Matt Ishbia made a push for that one. Odd, right? I mean, what is an owner? Why does an owner? need to play a role in in recruiting a buyout player who it it was obvious why Terrence Ross would make sense with the Suns right I don't think anyone needed to to explain that to him I know he was thinking about going to Dallas but I think Monty probably could have gotten that job done right weird and so there's somebody somewhere feeding people like Woj information I know I'm on my behind the scenes insider BS today. So I hope you're bearing with me. Um, there's no game and look, what else are we going to talk about? Um, no, it is interesting. It is important. It is relevant. Trust me. I'm just joking. You're, you're here. You know me by now. It's not exactly a surprise that I get in the weeds on this stuff. Somebody is feeding Woj information that is supposed to puff up Matt Ishbia, but yet Matt Ishbia, when he's asked, when he does interviews, wants to deflect and defer. Odd dynamic. Point being, we can judge people by what happens, not by what is said, right? And so uh, rather than the rumors being fed to Woj, I'm going to defer to Matt Ishbia's actual words. And similarly, I'm going to look at what actually, what hires are actually made. Because again, if you remember when Ishbia was hired, another thing that came out of that big narrative that started to form is he's going to hire his guys, right? We obviously know the Isaiah Thomas kerfuffle during that nationally televised game where Chris Haynes reports that he's on his way about to be hired then the next day Ishbia does his press conference and says no 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 not gonna happen right but even then beyond that we heard Bill Simmons threw out Sam Presti's name we've heard Paul Rivers who was like the director of basketball operations for Oklahoma City with Presti we heard Steve Nash visited uh, the, the offices of Ishbia's mortgage company. All these things, right? But yet none of that's really happened. I know we're in the middle of the season. He did hire a president, which I do think signaled a lot of these things in its own way, right? Michigan guy, a basketball-minded person to be running the business side of the Suns. I did a whole segment on that when, when the hire went down, I believe last week or the week before. So there's a little bit on both sides, but I think most things are leaning toward Ishbia being fairly delegating, uh, inclined to delegate. And I think this Madkins hire, to come full circle on this, is another example of that. I can't tell, not that I know everything about everybody's connections here, I can't tell of anything that would connect Gerald Madkins to Matt Ishbia. This is not anything connected to the Pistons. This is not anything connected to the Michigan area. I don't believe Gerald Madkins went to Michigan State, although watch me uh, have not done my... Um... No, he went to UCLA. See, so there's nothing here. This is a James Jones or Morgan Cato or Monty Williams or whatever the case may be type of hire. And that's good. 
to me. I'm not saying Matt Ishbia doesn't know what he's talking about. I guess what I'm saying is this team was very successful prior to him ever even getting to bid on it, let alone actually buying it and having say-so over who gets hired and how, right? So I'm going to continue to believe that the delegation is the right way to go. And when these moves happen, I'm going to make note of them because it pushes back against the narrative that he was going to come in, take over everything, and take all the credit. There was a lot of momentum in that direction, and he and his actions have gone in the opposite direction. Basketball, next. How does that sound? No more insider silliness, but basketball. I'm going to tell you why the defense for the Suns has stayed solid, stayed afloat, and helped them win games despite all of the chaos and all of the upheaval over the course of the season. We'll get to that next. First, one more quick break. And we're back. All right, Suns right now. Ninth, I believe, in defensive efficiency. Points allowed per 100 possessions. Ninth on the season. All right, so past two weeks, which Cleaning the Glass also shows website with a bunch of NBA stats, which I'm sure you've heard me reference, 117.7 defensive rating over the past two weeks, which is way worse than their season-long mark and puts them in the bottom 10 in the league over just the past two weeks. But we know what that is. Basically, two a day. That was when Durant got hurt, right? And so they haven't played great since. Not a big deal. Still ninth on the season. If you remember... During even the worst injury time, there was a a little bit in there where everyone was hurt and they were losing a ton and the defense slipped. But when they started to pick things back up in January, it was the defense. When they, even in November, when Chris Paul and Cam Johnson both were out and it was Booker and Payne and Ayton and whatever, low-key, quietly, subtly, it was actually the defense If you looked at the offense back then, I think for the most part, it was middle of the pack and the defense was top 10. And so now here we are, the defense still top 10. I'm going to give you the top lines of why, because defense in the NBA is a tough thing to measure. All right. You look one day, everything looks like something. And the next day it looks like something completely different. The margins are very thin. The samples are very small. And there's a little thing called shooting luck, which some stats people will tell you a whole season isn't even enough to really say definitively that a team is good or bad at guarding threes. A lot of it's random. It kind of bums me out to talk about because it's just sort of like existentially weird. Why do we all care so much if the ball just bounces the wrong way sometimes? So we're going to leave that off to the side. The things that the Suns do well defensively is contest shots and cause turnovers. Causing turnovers is not something they've always been good at, okay? Um, Last season, in the playoffs, they were fine at it, but not elite. Two years ago, in the regular season, when they went to the finals, they were fine at it, but not elite. This year is their best turnover rate defensively that they've been able to force opponents into uh, that they've had under Monty Williams. Actually, his first year was about the same, but since Chris Paul, we'll say. All right, good news. They also, again, contest shots, like I said. So we know what the Suns want to do defensively, right? It's been basically the same every single season under Monty Williams. They want to force mid-range shots, and they want to 
contest at the rim if the shots get there. Something that's interesting compared to last year is that the Suns have slipped a little bit in terms of allowing more shots at the rim. They're back to two years ago when, for some reason, despite playing Dario Saric Saric, a bunch of minutes at center, teams rarely attacked the basket against Phoenix. I, I, I don't know. Well, they did sometimes, but last year, JaVale McGee, the teams don't attack. I don't know. This year... It's back in line with what you would expect. The Suns have not had a had a, a normal center rotation, and that makes sense. It's fallen off a little bit from last year. They're allowing about the same number of threes per game, or the frequency of threes. So it's it's all falling into line for the most part. They're also allowing the same percentage at the basket, basically as they did last year, within a few uh, a few percentage points. One thing that was crazy last season is teams shot 35.4% on corner threes against Phoenix, which is an astronomically low number. It is the lowest on record since 03-04, since before Steve Nash got here. The Suns have not allowed a lower percentage of opponent corner on opponent corner threes than they did last season. They don't have Giannis Antetokounmpo roaming the paint helping and contesting and closing out on corner three shooter. That There's nothing about how the Suns played defense last year that really explains that. It was the same as the year before. The number was way different. That's exactly what we're talking about when we're talking about shooting luck. And so this year, the Suns' corner threes is back to normal. And yet, they are right where they want to be defensively. Again, top 10. Part of that is their non-corner threes have been limited and their wing threes. So on the whole... Teams are shooting worse from deep by almost more than 2% compared to last year. And so that's helping them a lot. These are normal things. These are good things. These are just executing defensively what you need to do. And they're better than they were early in the season because if you remember, DeAndre Ayton was fouling a ton and people were just parading to the basket against this team. And now that's not happening either. Their defensive transition is also solid like it always has been. And that is an improvement from where they were early in the season. So some things are trending actually in a positive direction, even though overall they've been mostly good all year long. The other part I want to talk about is Josh Okogie. I have a piece coming this week, I think, uh, about Josh Okogie and, uh, for Suns.com. And I have a little bit of a take brewing, which I probably shouldn't have waited until 27 minutes into the show to, to lay on you, but I might throw it out there here and there over the rest of the season. I'm testing it. It's experimental. That's why I didn't lead with it. I think Josh Okogie has a higher defensive ceiling than Mikhail Bridges. And as I say that, I'm like, are they the same age? And I sound ridiculous, but I think Okogie's a little younger. Yes, he's only 24. He just turned 24. Or no. He, no, he did not just turn 24. He's about 24 and a half. Mikhail is about 26 and a half. So Akogi is two full years younger. He's a better athlete, undoubtedly. He has a, uh, a track record of, if you're a prospect in college, the blueprint, the benchmark for turnover creation by these guys is two plus percent steal and block rate, which is literally just exactly what it sounds like. Josh Okogie steals 2.2% of opposing opposing possessions when he's in the game, and he gets blocks on 2.4% of opposing possessions when he's on the court. That's much better than McHale, especially the blocks. And he's younger, and his athleticism is better, 
and I think he's stronger. And so what I'm one of the things I'm focusing on in this piece is Akogi's not at that point like Bridges is of knowing game plans, right? Even though they've both been in the league uh, five years, which are, uh, yeah, this is year five for Mikhail. So they're, they're the same draft class, but somehow Mikhail just caught on to that really quickly. He played a lot more. He's older, whatever the case may be. I think that's the next level for Akogi. When he gets consistent minutes, when he has a consistent role, he's going to start to know what his responsibilities are and he's going to get to blow up what the opponent wants to do because he's just seen it before and he's he's learned it, he's reading it, all that stuff. And he is a very, very smart defensive player in his own right. I just think he doesn't have the reps. So I want to read you some Akogi numbers on top of that. Athleticism, he's learning the game, scouting plans, and he's younger and he's athletic, and he's getting all these turnovers, all right? That's all of it. But there's also the numbers that, that really illustrate it. So the Suns' defense this season has allowed nearly seven fewer points per 100 possessions when Akogi's on the court. So I told you it's top 10. It's even better when Akogi's out there. That's in the 93rd percentile of any player in the NBA. So the impact Akogi has is in the top 10 percentile of anybody in the league. As soon as he steps on the court, what changes? He, he rebounds, well, this is offensively. Let me, let me leave that one aside. 3.9 deflections per 36 minutes. He travels 1.4 miles per game on defense, per, per 75 possessions on defense. That is in the 97th percentile among all players. He runs over a mile per 75 possessions. And some games are more than 75 possessions. And also some games have a higher pace and stuff. So there is a, a time where uh, Kogi might run like two miles in a game, all right? Crazy stuff. He is sixth in the NBA. This is the last one. In defensive estimated plus minus. That is an all-in-one stat from dunksandthrees.com. Sixth in the NBA. It's like Caruso, Draymond, Jaron Jackson, Giannis, Brooke Lopez. I, like it's, it's all the best players, and then it's Josh Kogi. It helps to have a guy like that. And so the defense has stayed steady. They did lose McHale. They never had Jay. We have question marks at backup center. But they have Josh Okoge. And I don't think you should overlook that. All right, that'll wrap us up for today, guys. Catch me tomorrow getting you ready for Suns game day with Aaron Edwards for his weekly visit. We'll also have a recap after the buzzer of Suns Lakers. On the road, a, a surprisingly uh, tough game I don't really want to think about yet. So that's the schedule for the rest of the week. Hit follow or subscribe to get this show in your feed every single Monday through Friday. Get locked onto your favorite team. In the meantime, go make Locked On NBA your second listen. Get caught up on all things NBA across the whole league between now and the next show. That show is available on all podcast platforms as well, and I'll talk to you all tomorrow.